it's not porn's fault that I was addicted to porn, right? It was my responsibility. It's my choice to dive into something like that. Even if I didn't have the awareness of what it was going to turn into in my life, it doesn't dis discredit the fact that I've always had a choice. There's three primary fears that start to get lodged into a man from pornography addiction. There's fear of loss, fear of failure, and fear of uh, abandonment. So integrity, doing what you say you're going to do and having an aligned goal to that is going to create the result of that goal coming to fruition. I wish I would have had a mentor when I was 18 or in my younger 20s that said, hey, just do this simple thing and start using this tool and see how your life starts to change because your external world is just a mere reflection of your internal world. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to Sovereign Man Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your man, Nikki Ballou, and I'm here with my man, Zach Blakeney. What's going on, brother? What's up, Nikki? It's an honor to be with you on the Sovereign Man Podcast. So excited to dive into the conversation we have prepared today. Yeah, me too, brother. So, you know, when we first met, you came on uh, the Emerging Thought Leader segment in the Thought Leader Revolution Podcast, but what you had to say um, I felt was specifically important for men to hear and valuable for men to hear. So I wanted to bring you on this show to, first of all, tell us your backstory and then talk to us about why some of the issues that you and I had discussed around men and addiction, men and, um, frankly, pornography men and not being yeah, able man. to keep their damn word uh, and be count audible, reliable men um, are things you've become uh, passionate about and you've had some expertise in putting out there to um, be of service to men with. So take it away, man. Start with your story. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just go dive straight into the topic of what we have for today, which is that I was addicted to pornography for 16 years of my life. And it's an interesting uh, thing to even say that because, you know, in the professional world, uh, there's a lot of debate on whether or not porn is even an addiction. Uh, and from my experience, it absolutely is. It has all the characteristics of it, including uh, causing pain for the people that you hurt the most, uh, that you love the most in your life and also for yourself. So for me, you know, I started watching it when I was 14 years old. Now, for me, when I was 14, that was the year 2000. So we were just moving from dial-up AOL internet to broadband internet. And with broadband internet was high-speed internet. And this was really the birth of internet video pornography. So for myself, you know, I was 14. I was curious. Obviously, I was in the beginning of my own sexual exploration of self. And I had access you know, so these three things made it really easy for me to be able to get onto a computer and start exploring uh, pornography. Now, interesting point to this is that I was told by my parents, I was told by 
the religion that I practiced at the time, which was Catholicism, that uh, watching pornography was a sin. But there wasn't a lot of education around you know, what were the damages of pornography. And really, there wasn't a lot of education around this as a society anyways. But I like to talk about this because without the education and coming from a space of intolerance, when you tell somebody that they can't do something, especially a child uh, and myself being 14, a teenager, the yeah. first thing that does is infringe on somebody's free will and has a rejection of what they're telling you. So ultimately, by you telling me I can't watch something, it made me curious. And that curiosity brought me into porn. So as I was growing up 14 to, you know, into college, I would watch it sparingly as much as I could. And I really had no awareness of what it was doing to me at the time. But once I got into college and I was free and I was by myself and I had my own laptop, you know, this gave me the free range to start exploring pornography and to really not have uh, any sort of, I guess you could say, handle on it. Right. So, you know, I would be in my room, uh, you know, in a house with roommates and I would say, hey, guys, I'm studying for today. Uh, but really, I was in there, you know, masturbating pornography three to four times a day, you know, three to four and, times a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what. Like, that's crazy. I could get once or twice a day, but three to four times a day. Oh, my God. Well, you know, 20 years old. And uh, really, it was the uh, the only thing that I knew when it came to exploring my own sexuality as a man uh, for that type of outlet. So no girlfriends. This, well, okay. I, had some, I had some girlfriends, but yeah. during that time, it wasn't really I didn't notice an effect in my relationship again. I want to say that I had really no awareness that I was anything other than my thought process, right? So when we're not self-aware, we have an attachment to our thoughts and we believe that the things that we think are who we are. So we attach it to our identity. I didn't have that awareness at the time. And most boys and even young men at that time don't have that awareness either. Um, so I'd say I, anybody has that awareness, regardless of what their age is. We all think we're our damn thoughts. Certain yeah. times where I think that today, I'm sure you do too. Yeah. But, but like that, like it, it, it's it really was a full blown addiction from what you're telling me, right? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. three, four times a day is not a joke, man. That that's yeah. that takes a level of you, you know, and, and I'm not trying to be uh, funny or flippant about it, but that takes a level of commitment to the addiction mm -hmm. to engage in it that often because you would think that you know, there'd be some level of satiation at some point, but obviously it was beyond that for you, right? Yeah. So, you know, a lack of awareness of, of what an addiction is at that point, because, you know, what I looked out and saw was, you know, alcohol or drugs, right? These were the common things that people would refer to being addicted to. Nobody was really talking about pornography addiction at this time. Matter of fact, studies didn't start coming out until the late 2000s, 2009, 2010, where they actually started to do scientific studies on the effects of video pornography on the brain. So I started watching in 2000. Again, this was all kind of catching up during that time. 2009, I'm actually in college, but I had no awareness to even know that I was addicted. I wasn't studying these things, so I didn't think it was a problem. The moment where I started to realize it was a problem is when I had some girlfriends in college. And I started to experience uh, a high amount of uh, performance anxiety, so perform be, be, to perform in the bedroom. And I also started to experience what's called porn-induced erectile dysfunction in my early 20s. And ultimately, porn-induced erectile dysfunction comes from a place where you start to map your sexual 
attraction to visual imagery and really visual imagery with the content of all the different genres that you can watch in porn. And I explored a lot of different genres that weren't uh, just normal sex. And then by doing so, having a reliance on this imagery to get aroused with a physical woman when I was with them. So what I was doing, and I was doing this with no awareness, was that when I was with a woman physically, I was still relying on pornography scenes to achieve an erection. I was also relying on pornography scenes to achieve an orgasm while I was with that woman. Now, what I know now with the awareness that I have was that I really wasn't having sex with that woman. I was ultimately using that woman for her vagina to still masturbate to pornography because that's where my mind was. I wasn't even present with her. So this was an interesting time in my life because what happened was, is I started to not feel safe when I was in a sexual relationship with a woman, but I felt very safe when I was in front of a computer and I had no one to impress. I had nobody that I thought would be judging me for what I was watching, for what I was doing to the point where even though I couldn't get an erection all the time with a woman, I could start getting an erection just by opening up my laptop in anticipation that I was going to watch porn. So it's a complete remapping of your sexual attraction to something that isn't even real, a computer with imagery rather than experiencing sex as it's meant to be experienced with a woman. Well, for me, with a woman so as a heterosexual is, man. This is like, this is intense. This, this must have been really deeply um, painful to you at times, you know, yeah. like you must have felt like I'm speaking for you, right? But you must have felt uh, embarrassed, maybe even ashamed at times. And the question I have for you, I know you're telling your story here, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this differently than when we spoke on the other podcast, okay? And it's really, I'm feeling it in my body. I'm feeling what you've dealt with in my body. And that's why I'm asking you this yeah. is how many men go through this level of, of addiction? Because I'll just tell you for myself, okay? I've watched, I've watched internet porn. I've never felt addicted to it. Um, it was never a situation where I felt I had to masturbate a certain number of times a day. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess maybe because I'm older, like back when I was, you know, the age that you were, that you got into porn, there was no such thing as uh, online porn. You had to go to the, the store. You had to go get a freaking video. You know, you had to get past the, the clerk, which usually was a woman. I mean, it just had, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I was a good little Persian boy. Oh, my God. Just going to see. I got this porn thing. <laughs> just like a beat red. Yeah, yeah. Here, quick. I quickly ran out of there. And I'd watch it. You know, I'd watch it two or three times in the week that I had it or whatever the heck it was for or the day or two I had it. I And later on when I've been single, I, have I watched porn if I haven't had sex for a month or two? You know, I get a little horny. Damn it. Okay, let's watch some porn. Let's beat off two, three, four days in a row and then I'm good. I, I, I never felt that, that like, I have to watch it today. I got to masturbate today situation going on. But, you know, I look at it and I go, that could have happened to me. I mean, if I was born 20 years later, that could have totally been me. That could have totally been me. So how many, how many men go down this deeper rabbit hole like you're explaining you went through? Yeah. So in my age range and below the majority of them, uh, and we're talking, we're talking about stats here and I'll, I'll explain why, but we're talking about the, the stats that are coming from studies 
uh, are showing about one in three men are struggling with using pornography in a way that they self-deprecate, as in, as in they're not happy with their pornography use. So I don't want to say that they're addicted, but they absolutely beat themselves up for the use. And the other thing that came from these studies in these late 2000s is that watching uh, video pornography will remap your subconscious wiring 10, si 10 times faster than still imagery. So when you're talking about like a, you know, like a Playboy magazine, you're just looking at still images. Video pornography has the ability to make the remapping of your sexual attraction and also your neural wiring 10 times more, uh, 10 times faster than the still, right? So for myself as a millennial saying I was 14, right, in my teenage years and then high speed internet came up, a lot of the men that I service are in between, you know, 30 and 40 because they're me. They're, they experienced the same thing that I did, and there was a lack of awareness of the amount of damage that it was doing through the process. So I would say many men, more men that are willing to admit because there's so much shame around this that they don't talk about it, are suffering with this level of pornography addiction. So you're telling me that younger men, like millennial age, under the age of 40, the majority of them have some kind of dysfunctional relationship with pornography. This is a freaking epidemic, man. It is. This is like it's this is not like, hey, there's this is worse than alcohol addiction, is what you're telling me. Yeah. Well, also again, go back to the availability of it. You know, if I want to drink alcohol, there's the step of me going and going to a liquor store or a gas station buying alcohol. Yeah. If I want to do drugs, I need to do find a drug dealer and go through that process. If I would like to watch pornography, I can do it on the screen that we're communicating on right now. I can also do it on the phone, with, which is instant access. So the instant I access. I could have a split screen. I could have some video pornography going on while I'm interviewing you. So hold on, Zach. You <laughs> <laughs> have multiple tabs open if you'd like as well, right? Damn, it's true. It's true. That's crazy. Yeah. Which that's also a form. So if we want to dive for a minute into the, the, the physiological addiction, because that's really what this is, is that the body is addicted to biochemicals that are produced uh, and through that process uh, become attached to pornography. And one of the differences between like uh, alcohol or drugs is that pornography creates uh, oxytocin. So when you masturbate, you also release dopamine and oxytocin. And oxytocin is the binding hormone. It's the love hormone. So like when you experience a hug with your wife, right, you're experiencing oxytocin. That binds your relationship with your wife. But when you experience oxytocin towards pornography, you now have created a, a binded relationship to pornography. So the guys that I work with, I like to call pornography their mistress. Because they relate to it in the exact same way a mistress would be if they were cheating on their wife. It's the exact same feelings. There's shame and guilt centered around not actually experiencing sex with their partners and choosing to experience sex with pornography instead. There's also, again, the love aspect of it, which they start creating mental, emotional, physical, and even a spiritual relationship with pornography, which is mirrors what would happen with a type of relationship they would have with their wife or their partner. You know, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm going, this is some fucked up shit. This is some fuck. I've had a few men on my show who've talked about pornography addiction. I got to be honest. The first man who came on, I was really self-conscious interviewing him because I'm like, am I a porn addict? Like that was what was going through my head the whole time. 
because I watch pornography from time to time. Maybe I'm part of the problem. And then he was also talking about how it's a gateway to human trafficking. And I'm like, I'm part of the problem because I watch porn from time to time. But I think I'm, I'm watching porn where they're consensual adults. That's, you know what I mean? I make sure of that. Like, I'm not into watching, you know, this teen bullshit that they put on. And I also don't freaking watch it every day. I, and I'll tell you when I watch pornography at my age. I'd say once every two months. And it'll be at a time where my lady and I haven't seen each other for a while. I'm horny as fuck. And um, I just want to get my rocks off. So I go, all right, let's put up, let's put up whatever channel that I, that I get. There's a particular channel that I like massage, I like massages. I'm into massages. There's like a, okay, we'll watch that 10 minutes. Boom, done, finished. And the first time I had a guy on, I was like, I'm a bad man. I'm a bad person. I'm watching this shit. I'm part of the problem. And I had a second man on. He was a client of mine. Um, I helped him get clients. I was good at helping him get clients. I said, you know, come on the show. Talk about what you do. I was so self-conscious, so uncomfortable the whole time. You're the first dude I've talked to. I don't feel self-conscious or uncomfortable when I'm interviewing you. And you're actually teaching me something. I'm like, okay, I'm not an addict. I am using it from time to time. Thank God I'm not an addict because, you, you know, don't need that. Yeah. But I see how a lot of folks are addicted to this. I hear your story and I go, man, this could be my my, my 17 and 15-year-old. I don't know. Maybe they're doing this type of thing. Yeah. And this is, this is an issue because men today, this is why this channel exists. This is why the Sovereign Men movement exists. Men today are being bombarded by negative messages by the culture. Mm -hmm. You're bad. You're wrong. Masculinity is toxic. Patriarchy is bad. And all of this, in my view, is a load of shit. And men are being encouraged to be weak. You, you, you know, um, we stand for uplifting men. But I, I cringe at the feminized language of the world today because... I think this language actually weakens men, you know, like language, like, um, um, you need to be vulnerable as a man. I don't agree with that. I don't think a man needs to be vulnerable. In fact, I think it's a stupid idea to be vulnerable. I think a man needs to know when to be open, but being vulnerable, man, you're, you're a man, you're living in a world of competition. You vulnerable to the wrong man. He'll, he'll stick a metaphorical knife in you just to get ahead. That's a fact. I don't want to be vulnerable around the world, but around my men, I want to be open. I want to reveal who I am to them. I want to reveal my problems and issues with my woman. Uh, you know, I don't want to tell her about every little uh, negative thought that goes through my head, but I also want to be able to share with her how I'm feeling in a, in a, in a way that's safe for her because you got to be careful as a man. You know, if you're married to a woman and all of a sudden that woman says to you, Tell, tell me what you're feeling. And maybe you had a bad day. I don't know. Maybe your your favorite uncle died or whatever. And maybe your business isn't doing as good. And you start to reveal all of that to her. You know, my uncle died. And I don't know if my business is going to make it. Man, I don't know that your wife needs to hear all that shit. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe you should tell her, hey, hon, you know, we're going through a bit of a thing. But I'll, we'll figure it out. You and me together or... 
I got it all under control or something like that. It, it's not that we're not saying a caricature of a man that no, he's always strong and all that shit. But I also think this feminized language where men are being encouraged to behave more like women and not like men is dangerous and bad for men. And it's bad for society, you know? So that, that's, that's kind of my take on it. And what you're saying, why I wanted you to come on this show, brother, is because I find that you're really diagnosing an important problem in an important area that if men really understood how to understand how this is affecting them and they took action to resolve it is going to make them stronger, going to make them more able to go out there and be the man they've always wanted to be, be a man who wins rather than a man who's like, it's okay. You know, this is a safe space for you. You're going to be fine, man. No, no, no. This is a place where you're going to be, you're going to be taken care of, but this is a place where we're going to encourage you to stop doing self-destructive shit and start doing shit that, that moves you up. And I'm sorry. I know that I'm the host and I should be, oh, yeah. you, but this was, this was Nikki's epic rant part one. No, I, I, I appreciate it. Um, I would definitely love to explore it, uh, what you were saying. And uh, the first thing I want to say is that, uh, you know, porn, it's not biased to men or women. Really, porn is a tool that's coming from uh, the, let's say, the elite uh, that's being used as a way of societal control. And when I say elite, I say that the government, the news and the elite uh, business owners uh, of our world uh, are a part of creating, uh, specifically creating products that keep human beings from self-realization and self-awareness. And this is one of the... Uh, bread and circuses, right? This is like bread and circuses in Roman times, right? Exactly. It's, it's it, what it is, is it's, I mean, the phones, take away porn and just think about the phones. I mean, there's so many studies that have shown that since smartphones have come forward, the amount of uh, antidepressants that you know the United States is on specifically, anxiety, depression, it's all increased since this phone has come out uh, because of all the different uh, illusions that it creates. You know, competition, not feeling good enough. Uh, you know, we're talking about keeping up with the Joneses with competition, right? All those things create a poor self-image for uh, somebody who's using a phone in that way. Well, porn is taking it to the next level. Because again, although people can be addicted to this phone behaviorally for sure, because it does produce dopamine, uh, it doesn't produce oxytocin in a sense of what the body can do with it unless you're watching some sort of sexually permissive uh, imagery like porn is. And what really, when we get down to some of the other effects that start to prevent men from stepping into their power is that there's three primary fears that start to get lodged into a man from pornography addiction. There's fear of loss, fear of failure, and fear of uh, abandonment. Now, loss and abandonment are two different things. Loss comes first, and then you feel abandoned. But uh, with that, well, let's throw a fourth one on there as well, fear, fear of rejection, right? So these fears, if you are a man and you want to step into a higher version of yourself, but you're afraid that you're going to get rejected, then that fear of rejection is going to constrict you from stepping out of your comfort zone because ultimately that's where you're going to find not being rejected is by going through that process, right? Fear of failure is going to show up and it's going to be anchors that are holding you back from stepping into a higher version of yourself. And the distortion is created through the porn use because what happens with porn and using my own example is 
this was a private thing. I did this in private, right? And while I was doing it in private, I also did not feel like it was serving me. So I would guilt and shame myself. And because I would guilt and shame myself and say that I'm a bad, bad man, essentially from that, I wouldn't want to share with somebody else. Like I didn't want to share with my ex-wife that I was doing this thing because I feared if I told her I had a porn addiction, she would leave me. That's fear of loss and abandonment, right? I, I was afraid that our marriage would fail if I tell her this thing, right? Now, ultimately the marriage did fail, but I'll tell you what she told me, which was really powerful for me to take into my next relationship. She said, I didn't leave you because of the pornography addiction. I left you because you lied to me repetitively over and over and over again. And I can't trust you anymore because you've lied to me so much about this. So a part of pornography addiction, a part of the symptom of that is being dishonest. You're going to lie about it because you're feeling ashamed about it, right? So there's so many restrictions that happen. And these restrictions can create restriction if you're an entrepreneur and you would like to expand your business. Well, you need to expand yourself to expand your business. If you can't expand past being afraid of being rejected, then you're not going to put yourself out there. When it comes to a relationship, if you're married right now or you're in a relationship and you're watching porn, what I just said, you don't want to start talking about that with the person that you're with because you're afraid that they're going to lose, that you're going to, they're going to leave you. But what happens is, is that you don't develop a relationship with your partner in which you feel like you have open communication. So there's going to be a lack of trust there because your partner is going to know you're hiding something. I like to say that human beings are most transparent beings on the planet. Your words mean nothing. The energy that you bring forward to a situation is going to tell somebody all they need to know. An easy example to ground you in this is that if you've ever come home from work and you had a tough day at work and then your wife says, hey, how you doing? You say, I'm fine. She knows you're not fine. You're lying. <laughs> she knows that you're not fine, right? But ultimately, that's what I'm talking about is that energy doesn't lie. You're, the way that you carry yourself is an energy. It's not the words that you say. So the way that this addiction starts to intertwine in relationships and business and stepping into things that are uncomfortable really holds you back from achieving your larger goals that you have in your life. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense what you're saying here, Zach. Um, this is an important conversation. And so last week I interviewed a... Um, a fellow who's uh, been a porn star in the past. And right now he actually runs an academy to help men be better lovers. And, you know, I'm fascinated by that because, you know, I'd, I'd like to learn how to be a better lover myself. But um, we had a chat about the impact of being in the industry on him and the interview is not going to be out for a few weeks, but I highly encourage you to listen to it. Yeah. And while you and I are speaking now, I just thought to myself, I'd like to do a panel with you and him and me on it, on the podcast. I think it'd be fascinating as a conversation. Yeah, um, I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have you on. Um, well, because I do, I do take a little bit different stance from uh, a lot of people that are in this space. And even with the amount of pain that I experience, my stance comes to uh, personal responsibility being the lens of not only the user, but also the content creator. And what I mean by that is that, look, if you go to a buffet, there are different choices for you to eat. Right. So you get to observe and choose, well, I'm going to eat healthy. So I'm going to have chicken breasts instead of having the fried chicken. Right. You have the choice of the options that are in front of you. 
So in that sense, it's not porn's fault that I was addicted to porn, right? It was my responsibility. It's my choice to dive into something like that. Even if I didn't have the awareness of what it was going to turn into in my life, it doesn't dis discredit the fact that I've always had a choice. But then the other half of it is that when I talk to, uh, I have, I actually have friends and acquaintances that do OnlyFans. And when I talked to them about it, I said, look, what is your intention with creating the OnlyFans that you have? And they would say, so if they say, well, I want to be of service uh, and provide a service for somebody else. I was like, well, inside of that stance, you're not. Because what you're putting out is already proven from numerous studies to have massive damage on men and women that are watching the content that you're putting out. So really what you're doing is you're serving yourself. You're taking responsibility for your creation, but you're not taking responsibility for the effect of your creation on other people. And that's lacking a view of humanity. That's a self-service way of looking at it. So that's when I'm talking to anybody that's doing this. I was like, I'm just looking at personal responsibility. And also, what is it that you're trying to do? And if you're trying to help other people by creating a porn site, it's proven that that doesn't work. So you're tricking yourself in that way. I'll tell you this, um, I think the statement you made earlier that porn is a tool being used by elites for societal control, that's very powerful because I think we're living in a time where it's obvious that a lot of what's happened in the last three years was orchestrated and gotcha. was shoved down people's throats, not for their benefit, but for the benefit of a very small cabal of elites. Mm -hmm. And that small cabal has made billions and billions of dollars while the average person is suffering. Let's be honest, suffering financially, not doing so well. And when you said... Porn is a tool being used for societal control by a cabal of elites. And I put in the word cabal, but you said elites. The first thought that went through my head is, I'd like to put that in the title of this episode. Is porn a tool for societal control? That could be the title of the episode. Yeah. The second thought that went through my head was, if that's true, then free men have a duty to resist. Mm -hmm. that control and have a duty to spread the word. So you're doing that. One of the things I enjoy about our conversation, Zach, is you're a man who's thought deeply about issues. It's one of the reasons when we spoke, I told you I wanted to bring you on this podcast. And I also told you, Zach, I want to help you be bigger than you are because, you, you know, the thing for me that is very obvious is I've had lots of, I've had at least three other men on this show with a similar message of wanting to be of service to men around porn. And they're all good men and they all have the right, um, the right idea of wanting to be of service. But I'll tell you what they don't have that you have, which is why for me it was important and it's still important to find a way to be of service to you and help you get bigger. It's not about just making you money. It'd be great to make you money. Don't get me wrong. I like you. I'd like you to make more money. Don't misunderstand me in any way in that regard. But Zach, you are a particularly effective messenger. You are a particularly thoughtful man. 
the way you explain this honestly is really simple to grasp. It's thought provoking. And just for me, and I'm a 56 year old man. I'm in a committed relationship with an awesome, gorgeous woman. And man, I'm learning stuff about myself and having this conversation and about how to be better and how to stay away from that crap. Because that crap, even though once every couple of months or whatever, I think, hey, man, yeah, yeah, be, it's fine. It's harmless. It's nothing. It really ain't. Somebody trying to tell me who I should be, how I should run my life. It's taking my attention away from my mission, which is to help men fucking be the best version of themselves and to serve them into victory in their lives and their businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to tell you, it's important that you get big. And I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm going to say this to you because unfortunately today when we're done, I got to jump off to, to my next call, but I want to reach out to you and I want to continue this discussion. I want us to talk to this gentleman and see if he's willing to do a, a, a panel with us. Um, I want to bring you back on the show because I think there's more to talk about uh, as far as this issue is concerned. And there's other folks I'd like to put you on a panel with who are, um, I think, smart people in the space of being of service to men. And it would be really, really cool to have someone like you um, and that those individuals be in a conversation that's spreading the cause of, of, of men, masculinity and manhood in a powerful way. And brother, I also hope you get as awesome as you are. You need help, bro. If you're going to get to all the people that you, you need to get to, you need help. You ain't going to do it by yourself. So yep. no, I mean, nobody does anything by themselves. Nobody does anything. Absolutely. No. Um, so let me ask you a couple of questions before we turn around and land this plane. Okay. Um, so question number one is if, if a young man is listening to this, right, a man younger than you, even under 25, because I really want to reach those men because those are the men that I think have been let down by the generation of men before and by our society the most. They're being told they're shit. They're not good. Men are bad. Just by being a man, there's something wrong with you. And first and foremost, I want to tell all of them, that's all a load of bullshit. You're all, it, it's great to be a man. And it's awesome that you're a man and that you're alive and you're, you're getting to contribute to the world. What would you say to those men? How do they resist not just the addiction of porn, but the attempt by the elites to control them? Because I think it's pervasive and it's well beyond porn. Yeah, so I'll say this, that no matter what age you're at, um, aligning to virtues or characteristics uh, is the most impactful thing you can do to guide uh, your thoughts, your emotions, and your behavior. And this is actually ancient, man. This is virtue ethics, which was created by Aristotle. And all this simply says is, is that when you want to think about what was the what would be the highest version of yourself? Like, what does that look like? And what are the virtues or the characteristics that that man has? Then you start to clearly define uh, who you're stepping into. So, for instance, if you're struggling with addiction, especially to pornography, you're most likely being dishonest. You're most likely lying outright to other people. You're being dishonest with yourself. Uh, you're hiding these things, you're hiding your porn use from other people. 
So look at that behavior and say, okay, since this is causing me so much suffering internally, uh, then the highest version of myself would be honest. So then if you took the word honest and then started using honest as a filter into your thought process, your emotions and your behaviors, then you're going to start finding where you are creating your own suffering by being dishonest. So that's if I were to like another thing. So I'll say this like integrity. Let's use integrity as well, right? Because integrity is lacking inside of an addiction. Typically, you're not doing what you say you're going to do. And I do like to share this, that my father, when I was growing up, my father said something to me and he said that, Zach, you can be anything that you ever want to be in this world. And although that was uh, nice to hear, it's not actually true. The truth is, if he would have said, Zach, if you have integrity, you can create whatever you want to create in this world. That would have been a true statement. So integrity, doing what you say you're going to do and having an aligned goal to that is going to create the result of that goal coming to fruition. So I know I'm tracing a little bit, but it's in the same uh, the same conversation of find maybe five characteristics that you believe is the highest version of yourself that maybe you're not acting in alignment just yet. And then that gives you a map of where to start directing your own internal world and also how you're showing up in the world. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're younger or older, but I wish I would have had a mentor when I was 18 or in my younger 20s that said, hey, just do this simple thing and start using this tool and see how your life starts to change because your external world is just a mere reflection of your internal world. This is very powerful. This is very true. Um, there's an interview I did on the Sovereign Man podcast with a man named George Bruno, and it was just a few weeks ago that it came out, and it's called The High Virtue Man. I highly encourage you to listen to that uh, interview, Zach. I'll dig it up and, and, and text you the link for it. But what you're saying aligns very strongly with what George said. In fact, George would be one of the folks I'd like to get on a panel with you. Uh, I think he's got a lot of good things to say. He, he works in a different arena, divorce recovery. Okay, so we're telling young men that you've got to align with virtue, right? And yeah. that is important. So what is the highest version of yourself? What are the virtues that um, that man would exhibit in his day-to-day -day life? Yep. Um, that is the high virtue man. And, yeah, and, and so that I'll, could be I'll, a good name for a book. That could be a good name for another podcast. <laughs> the high virtue men. You know, I, I like it. I like it a lot, actually. Well, I want to give them one more uh, for who's listening. So here's an integration strategy for you. So take these five uh, virtues, whatever they are, and then put I am in front of them and put man at the end. So I could say I am an honest, integrous, loving, courageous, you know, persevering man. Write that down seven times every single morning in a journal. Then say it out loud, all the different ones, seven times. And then take a moment to visualize acting in alignment with those characteristics throughout your day. And what you're actually doing here is that you're taking no more than 10 minutes to start to remap the subconscious program that has been created by uh, who you once were and you're starting to repetitively say things to yourself that allow you to uh, guide your actions throughout that day, because your subconscious program is built off of what you repetitively think, feel, and do in your present moment. 
So if you just add this little strategy 10 minutes each day to write these things down and to start visualizing yourself acting in alignment with it, that alone is setting an intention that guides your behavior to act in alignment with it. And as you start to act in alignment with these characteristics, you also start to reprogram your subconscious mind simultaneously. This is actually the first strategy that I teach for any man that comes through and coaches with me. The first foundational thing we do in the first session is start finding out these virtues and start creating the reprogramming process uh, in this very simple strategy. Yeah. Yeah. This is important stuff. Uh, Zach, I really like this. And I want to just thank you for taking the time today to come and share this. Um, I'm going to reach out to you uh, in the next day or so to pick up our conversation. Again, I'd like to bring you back on to pick up this conversation again. And I'd like to put you on a couple of panels. And I'd like to have the conversation that we'd had before about really supporting you uh, in freaking getting bigger and being better known because you're an important voice, man. It's it, it's more than, hey, let's just make Zach a bunch of money. It's let's make yeah. sure this voice gets heard. And I'm sure you'll make a bunch of money along the way, but this needs to be heard. There's not a lot of people who say this with the honesty, with the um, openness that you do. And for that, brother, I greatly, greatly appreciate you. Thank you for coming here. And um, God bless you for taking a stand and having the balls to come out and tell your story to men and having the balls to think deeply enough about this issue to speak about it truthfully and honestly. It's my honor, Nikki. Thank you for having me on, brother. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.